I mean, there's things that we can make an absolute priority in our life, but they're, they're only for this, this, this time being. But, but love is this thing that'll last into the ages. It'll last forever and ever and ever. And so if you're going to work on something, if you want to master something, master love. And nothing's more clear than 1 Corinthians 13, the first part of it. It says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, and, and this is the most incredible part to me, because just imagine someone who was that, who could actually fathom all mysteries and through their faith could actually move mountains, like move the most difficult things. Imagine a person that no matter what you were struggling with, you could go up and say, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. And they could always tell you every time exactly what you should do. If, if you ever needed a word from God, you could go up to this person and there it is. And, and if, if, if you needed a miracle, every time they prayed that miracle, it just happened. Like if you were sick or had cancer or whatever it might be and you went up to this person because they could move mountains and every time they prayed, you were healed. And every time you had a difficult time in your marriage and they prayed over it and all of a sudden your marriage just, just bloomed. I mean, imagine someone who could fathom all mysteries and could move mountains. But it says, but if they don't have love, they're nothing. I mean, just this picture up here. We had, we had two people who said they were followers of Jesus. This, this, the one is this, this person who can do everything. <laughs> the most prophetic person you've ever met. Every single one of their prayers is answered. Big miracles time and time and time again. They have, they're just oozing with wisdom. And then on the side, we have someone who, actually is not all that gifted, it doesn't seem, but, but they just ooze in love. And as they were sitting there, it's like, who is the most spirit-filled? Who is representing the kingdom in the deepest way? I would be very tempted to point this way. I think most of us would be. But I think Jesus would be pointing this way, at least according to this passage. Because if this person did not have love, they are missing the point of the kingdom. And miracles are awesome. Healing is awesome. Prophecy is awesome. Those are good things. But above that is this priority of love. If I have the gift of prophecy, you can follow all mysteries and have an all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I have, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It, it, it's, it's a priority above everything else in following Jesus in the kingdom. Uh, the epistles put it this way. Above all, clothe yourself with love. Like above everything else, I mean all the things we could be focused on and working on and paying attention to and trying to develop and grow and whatever. He says like, oh, those things are great, okay. But above all, the one thing is to make sure that you are always clothing yourself in love. In every moment, in every situation, clothing yourself in love. Peter says something similar. He says, most important of all. I mean, we could ask the Apostle Peter, like, what is it I should be doing for God? I mean, what does I need to be focus on, focusing on? He, well, he says, most of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And, and that wins me over right there. <laughs> 
Because it doesn't say like Bible study covers a multitude of sin or, you know, when you're using your gifting, it covers a multitude of sin. But, but there is something about love that when you love deeply, it covers a multitude of sin. And so if you're going to err anywhere, uh, I would say always err on the side of love. You know, sometimes we might err on trying to get our theology perfect, but it doesn't say, most important of all, if you have perfect theology, it covers a multitude of sin. No, it says love covers a multitude of sin. So just err on that side. (laughs) Show deep love, for love covers a multitude of sins. Galatians chapter 5, this is the passage of the fruit of the Spirit. It's all based in the review we did last week. Remember, they're arguing over, you know, they're trying to get, uh, they're just, trying to go back to the law and the rules and the focusing on right and wrong. And, and he's saying, no, 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 no. Chase after the Spirit because the Spirit leads you to the fruit of the Spirit. And he just sums it says, like, the only thing that actually counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, we can look at this guy who can do all well, this gal who can do all these things and seems so fabulous. And, and, and this other person who's just oozing with love. You might be saying, you know, the only thing that really counts most of all is, is is oozing with love. I mean, sure, we can have these fantastic gifts that, that are awesome and important, but the priority is to be love. Now, of course, we need to evaluate ourselves. And, and uh, you know, a number of years ago, a book was written. It was actually a mass survey they did on, on you know, how people outside the church or people who left the church, you know, kind of feel about us folks as followers of Jesus. And um, the authors kind of summed it up this way. They, they said, many of those outside of Christianity reject Jesus because they feel rejected by Christians. And so the one thing that we're supposed to be doing the best on is like the book basically said where Google completely blew it. <laughs> we're not doing all that well. In fact, they had kind of uh, ranked things that they felt Christians represented. And the top six didn't even have love in them. Number one was... Uh, they often found Christians to be hypocritical, that they kind of presented a polished image that was not accurate, that, you know, I have everything together, everything's great, but, you know, things are falling apart. I felt maybe too focused on getting converts. They, they actually wonder, you know, do they actually love me, or are they just trying to get a notch on their belt to make them feel good about doing something for God? You know, do they actually even care about me? Uh, they felt uh, that Christians were anti-homosexual. Uh, they felt that Christians were sheltered not willing to deal with the grit and grime of real people's lives, uh, too political, overly motivated by a political agenda. And, and this has been really true, you know, over the last number of years, especially in the States. The, the, there has been such a mass exodus of young Christians from the evangelical church in the States because of the kind of whole Trump thing. It's been, it's been mind-boggling because the church has gotten so wrapped up in politics rather than wrapped up in the thing that's supposed to be wrapped up, and that is, is love. And number six was judgmental, quick to judge, and, and felt judged. I like what Nadia Weber said. She says, people don't leave Christianity because they stop believing in the teachings of Jesus. People leave Christianity because they believe in the teaching of Jesus so much, they can't stomach being part of an institution that claims to be about that and clearly isn't. And, and talking about the, the mass exodus of young people uh, um, from the church, especially, this, this is more American stuff, but, but with, they're getting so wrapped up in politics. It's like, we're, we're supposed to be about love. <laughs> and look at, what, it's, what, look at what, what, we're, what we're doing. And, and so, I mean, that's kind of the, the church as a whole. And, and I think, you know, this church is different. We, we work hard at this. And, 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 and you folks are incredibly loving. 
and this is such a beautiful place because we have such a diversity of folks here and you know we're kind of messy but you know we tend to get along most of the times but uh, but we can keep growing in this and I can keep growing in this um, but but it's, it's interesting again you know some of the like what we just looked at in light of like the one main thing Jesus asked us to do like in John 13 he says a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and most of us know this passage but but, but this is just every time I read it it's just like wow like, it's not that we're to be known because, you know, I call myself a Christian. That's how you know I'm a Christian. Or, you know, I go to church. That's how you know I'm a Christian. Or, you know, you know uh, I do this or that. It's like to be known because of love. I mean, sometimes, I think it was Mary who threw out an article that I read this week. It was, it was saying, you know, we should stop calling ourselves Christians because we need to actually show that we're loving. <laughs> it's got to go backwards. It's like people need to run into us and we don't go, well, I'm a Christian. It's like... Like, wow, you are so loving. Do you, do you follow Jesus? <laughs> why, why are you so loving? Like, that's what the Jesus wants. It's, it's by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here he calls this actually a new command. Which is kind of weird because this command is also like in the Old Testament, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and so why is this new when Jesus presented this command? Why is this a new command? Well, on one hand it might be because... He doesn't say, you know, love your neighbor, uh, love, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you're to love as, as I have loved. It could be new that way. But, but more seriously, the reason it's new is because this is the one command of the new covenant. It's the, it's, it's the agreement of the new covenant. Because we could go back into the Old Testament, and the Old Testament law had 613 commands, a whole lot of them. And so it was kind of summarized in the Ten Commandments. And so you could kind of take the 613 and boil them down to, to Ten Commandments. And then at one time, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment in all of the 613 laws? Or what's the most important out of the, out of the Ten Commandments? And, and so this teacher asked Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second, it's equally as important. Which is kind of a weird phrase. We say, this is the first and greatest, and the second is equally as important. But that's what he said, I guess. This is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all its demands of the, of the prophets are based on these two commands. So Jesus said the whole law can be summarized in two commands. Love God, love people. So hold on to that thought. Jesus says the entire law can be summarized in loving God and loving people. Now the question was, what is the most important command in the law out of the 613? So this is before the new covenant. And then, of course, we know Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he has gathered with his disciples, he, he ends the old covenant and brings in the new covenant. When, uh, when it says, after supper, he took another cup of wine. So he didn't just have one, but he had two. Just so you know, it's okay. <laughs> after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. So he brings in this new covenant, and when we celebrate communion, 
This is part of what we're celebrating. This idea that this is, we're celebrating the new com, uh, covenant, this new agreement we have with God. And, and because the new one comes in, the old one, according to Hebrews, goes out. In Hebrews 8, it says when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. And so like the, the 613 laws, that we're not under that covenant anymore. I mean, there's some crossover, but, but we're not under that. And so this idea even of the Ten Commandments or even the summary of the Ten Commandments in the 613, that's the old covenant. We're under a new covenant. So out of that, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. Because a covenant needs to have some sort of rules or guidelines. It's like a contract or an agreement. Like whenever you make a covenant with somebody or an agreement with somebody, usually there's something you're agreeing over. There's some sort of rule or guideline. And so the old covenant goes out, the new covenant goes in, and Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command to guide the new covenant. And that is, I want you to love as I have loved you. And he says this in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. And this is right after he inaugurates the new covenant. This is, this is the agreement of the new covenant to love people. And in case we miss it, he says it two more times because his disciples were just like me. Sometimes you don't get it. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then just a little bit later, he says, this is my command. Love each other. And so there's this process that makes it Christianity, in a sense, very simple. You know, the old law started with 613, then it was the Ten Commandments, then Jesus summarized the Old Testament law in two. The old covenant ends, the new covenant starts, and there's this one command. To love as I have loved you. Now this is what the disciples after Jesus said over and over again. The whole law, for instance, Galatians says, the whole law, which was, used to be 613 commands, can be summed up in this one command. Remember under the old covenant, Jesus said the whole entire law could be summed up under two commands, to love God and love people. Now people are saying under the new covenant, the whole law can be summed up only in one. They only give one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not the only place it says that. Romans 13 says it. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Again, summarizing it down to just one now. And it says it again. Another place, Romans 13. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And if we need it four times, well, it says it four times. James 2, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is really odd because we would expect them to, you know, to, uh, to say the, the whole law can be summed up in this one command to give God glory. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But they, they, it's kind of weird they don't say that. They say the whole law can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. The second time, the requirements of God's law are fulfilled if you love your neighbor. The third time, love is the fulfillment of the law. The fourth time, the, the summary of the law is, is to love people. Like, whatever happened to loving God <laughs> in the new covenant? Well, there's various answers we could give. Uh, one might be, and maybe God just tried to make it a little more simple for us. Because if you know the Pharisees in the story of the Gospels, I mean, the Pharisees knew very clearly that the, the two greatest commandments are to love God and love people. But guess what they did? They constantly used this loving God command as an excuse not to love people. You remember the story where Jesus is like telling the Pharisees how, you know, the Pharisees would go like, you know, I have all this money, but, you know, uh, I don't want to give it to my parents, so I'm just going to give it over to God. And Jesus said that was really lame. 
<laughs> because they weren't loving the people. They were using God as an excuse not to love people. Just like the, you know, the, the good Samaritan. They were using an excuse. Well, I don't want to become unclean because I need, to, I need to honor God so I don't need to love those people over there. I mean, it's very easy to use loving God as an excuse not to love people. It happens all the time. Well, I don't want to hang out around those kind of folks because, you know, you know, I know God wouldn't like that or, you know, he's going he's to taint me or something. You, you see Jesus hanging out with folks all those times. I mean, it's very easy to use God as an excuse not to love people. So I think maybe Jesus was just like, okay, let's just, let's just scoot that one to the side. and let's, let's make this about love to get it real simple about what the, the core of the new covenant is about. We can also let John answer this question because I think he answers it in a different way. He says it this way, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so John seems to say, if you're shining in love and you are loving people, it's, it's a sign that you love God. If you're not loving people, then maybe, maybe you missed something there. Maybe there's like a brick fell out somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but he just kind of go, goes at it backwards. He goes at it from the fruit up. Well, the, the Old Covenant was all about the, the theology down. You know, I love God and I don't really have to love people because I got the main thing going on here. But Jesus, the New Covenant, is like, no, no, no. It's about the fruit. It's about action. So the one command is love people like Jesus loved. Uh, or John answered it maybe this way. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And so he starts with the fruit. And, and this is the essence of, 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 of the kingdom, even of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not a bunch of theological laws. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It is peace. It is patience. It's things we can see. It is things that are felt. It is, it is things to deal with relationship between other and relationship with God. And, 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 if, and if you're loving people in the way Jesus wants, you're probably going to include God in that. And, and, and you need God's power because we need the fruit of the Spirit. And so John would say it's kind of implied, this idea, but you, no longer can he use loving God as an excuse not to love people. The one command of the new covenant, the primary command, and there's other things in there we can throw in there, but the one main thing is to love people and to love them deeply. And if we need more further proof on this, there is a well-repeated uh, tradition of the, the old Apostle John. And I've shared this probably number of time, number, a number of times, but there's one John, Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. When he was in his 90s, there's a story told about him and it's found in one of the early church fathers named Jerome in his commentary on Galatians 6. And he, he tells this story about the Apostle John. The blessed John the Evangelist, who remained in Ephesus to an advanced age and could scarcely be carried to the church with the help of his disciples. At each assembly, he used to say no more than this. Little children, love one another. Eventually, the disciples and brethren who were pre uh, present grew tired of always hearing the same thing and said, Master, why do you keep on saying this? He replied with the sentiment worthy of John, because it is a command of the Lord and it is sufficient if this alone is done. 
What about, what about the command to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? It's going back to the, the one command. This one thing that summarizes the whole lot. It's, it's the fruit up. It's the backwards up. And you remember Jesus talked about the upside down kingdom. If this alone is done, it is sufficient. In other words, this is to be the priority. This is the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of the disciples, the testimony of the early church fathers. And so um, we need to be growing in, in love. And, and this is the one thing that we need to be working on. And, and you know, it's a lot funner sometimes, I'm going to use that word, funner, uh, to, to do other things. Because the problem with love is it's hard. I mean, I would probably rather... <laughs> you know, study the Bible because it's easy. You know, I'd rather, you know, to do my devotions because I can handle that's easy. And, you know, I'd like to, you know, work on my gifting and write my sermon and use my gift of teaching or whatever because, you know, that's easy. Or do all these other things that we can focus on or, you know, fix something at the church. I can handle that. That's easy. But, but to love that person who's tough, let me just go back to my Bible study because that's easy. I mean, we do that. <laughs> You know, this is why very easily we make it about two other things. And I think why Jesus went from the two commands down to one, because again, we can use, well, I'm, you know, I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind by, you know, doing these other things so I don't have to work at the hard things, which is loving those people who are different than me. Now, as we close, I just want to mention one more thing, because um, we did a whole series on the summer, but I want to mention this because a lot of churches don't talk about this, but I think it's really key in loving well. And that is this idea of seeing yourself as worthy of receiving God's love. If you don't see yourself as worthy of receiving God's love, you will always struggle in loving others deeply. Richard Murray said, when we truly realize God loves us no matter what, we will love others no matter who. If we don't feel that we are worthy of God's love, we will just turn that on the face and treat others that way. So if I don't feel like I deserve to be loved, then, well, then you're not worthy to be loved either, so I don't have to work that hard. <laughs> I wrote this, the very mission to love others is tied up in being able to see yourself as worthy of being loved. If you do not see yourself as worthy of being loved, you will always be taking value from others to fill the holes within. And so if you don't see yourself as worthy and broken, you know, I'm a dirty, rotten person and God would never want anything to do with me, then you will automatically, well, everybody else around me is the same thing. And thereby, because I don't feel worthy of receiving love, that person doesn't, and therefore I can judge and shame them. Or because I feel crappy about things, you know, at least I'm going to judge and shame that person over there because then at least I'm doing better than them and it makes me feel better about myself. There's this transition you need to make into just receiving God's love as he says it is. That he loves you to the core. And he loves everything about you. And um, he loves you deeply. Uh, Brene Brown, again, we did a whole series on this topic, but uh, it is worth repeating. She says, There was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it. And that was the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. And this goes both ways. Like if you struggle, like why isn't I just ever feel loved and I don't feel like I ever belong? It could be because you don't see yourself as being worthy of love and belonging. So you're always pulling away and you don't give and receive love because you don't see yourself as worthy of being loved and therefore they're not worthy of being received, uh, 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 receiving love. I mean, there's this, this core of, of just acknowledging I am worthy to receive God's love. 
and I am worthy to receive other people's love. Not because you're so amazing. I mean, none of us. We're amazing in certain ways, but I mean, I'm a screw up in certain ways, but it's not because of that. It's just because we're, we're God's children. We're dearly loved God's children, that we are made in His image. And God's love to you is beautiful. And just as any baby we see, you know, the little baby back there, so very cute. I mean, totally worthy of receiving his or her parents' love, right? We are worthy of receiving God's love. And this is God's love towards you. Because actually in the Greek, this is agape. It's talking about God's love. God's love towards you is patient and kind. A lot of folks don't think God is very, you know, can't be patient with me, I keep screwing up. Nope. God at his core is patient towards you. His love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude towards you. His love does not demand its own way. God's love is not irritable towards you. God's love keeps no record of being wronged. And this is the core of forgiveness. Because a lot of people are like, man, God's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out a naughty and nice. When I go to heaven, I'm going to have to stand before him. He's got a long list of all these things. God's love, it says, keeps no record of wrong. That's actually what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not, oh, I forgive you, but I'm going to bring it up later. <laughs> so a lot of people think about God. I forgive you, but on Judgment Day, I'm going to bring it all up again. It's like, that's not forgiveness. I mean, imagine if you hit my car, and I said, well, I totally forgive you. And then every day I said, hey, you know, you hit my car. You, you got to pay for it. It's like, that's not forgiveness. He keeps no record of being wronged. God's love doesn't rejoice about injustice. He cares about when you're hurt and when you're suffering, when, 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 when things aren't going well in your life. And he rejoices over the truth when it wins out. God's love never gives up and never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endears through every circumstance. See, there's nothing that you can ever separate yourself from God's love. It's impossible. His love is perfect. It never gives up. And you can give up on God's love and you can try to run away by God's chasing right after you. With his love, it never loses faith. You might lose your faith, but he doesn't lose his, his faith towards you. And the Bible says even when we're faithless, he is faithful. And he's always hopeful. I mean, his love is beautiful towards you. God's love is the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is him, himself. God's love towards you is joyful. So that's what it actually says in Ephesians chapter 1. That he's just so proud to have you as, your, as, as his little son and daughter. It's a great privilege to adopt you. He is at peace with you. He's patient. And he's kind towards you. He's good and faithful and gentle and filled with self-control. That, that is God's love. And, and to receive that. And when you really begin to receive that and just that this is God's love towards me. There's something that slowly begins to change where you begin to see that that's how God loves other people. And therefore, that's how I need to treat other people the same way God has treated me. And so we look at those people around us and and we don't demand our own way and we're not irritable with people and we don't keep records of, of all their wrongs and, and, and we're, oh, we never give up on people. We never lose faith on people. We're always hopeful and we endure through every circumstance because that is God's love flowing through us. Whew, all right. So I want to finish with a quote because we can't talk about love without talking about James Jordan, right? All you fathers are people. He says this, I'll just summarize with this. We need to understand that the gospel is about the love of God. It is not about righteousness. Love is always and without exception righteous. Righteousness is the product, not the core. The church today struggles with love. It struggles with love between individuals, between leaders, between denominations. Why do we struggle with love? 
because we haven't experienced it. Our eyes have been opened to right and wrong instead, and we have lived our Christian life based on that evaluation. Also, all so-called Christian conflicts are founded and energized by perspectives of right and wrong, good and evil. Any resolution from within that perspective is weak and flawed because it is based on the mind which cannot love. And it always talks about loving from the heart the Gospels talk about. There is a much easier way to be filled with the love of the Father until that love becomes the expression of your life. When you are filled with the love of the Father, you will discover an interesting thing. You will discover that you are not interested in sin anymore. Neither are you interested in trying to work out what is right and wrong. You just want to love. And you will discover that human love, uh, and, and uh, you just want to love. And you will discover that love cannot sin. The love of God cannot sin. Human love may sin, but God's love cannot. God's love is His very nature. The only way that we can love with His love is to be full of it. And so this idea of just being saturated in the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where this phrase comes. exactly what he's talking about. Where it finishes the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things there is no law. You don't need to be focused all the time on right and wrong and, and what's up and down. You just need to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. When you focus on love and God, allow God's love to flow through you, God's love can never sin. And all of a sudden it brings us into this realm, this new realm, which is this upside thing where we realize that the kingdom is actually all about it's about loving people. 